Well, we are in the series, Living a Godly Life in an Ungodly World. Many of you are also going through that in your Bible study classes or at home, if you'd like to get involved with that and get a book uh, or get in a class, either way, and continue on with this study and each study, uh, let us know uh, here at the office. Let myself or Brother Daniel know or Brother Steve know. One of us, get a hold of somebody uh, that's close to you, and they'll get to us, and we'll get you set up. But this is the series that we find ourselves in, living a godly life in an ungodly world. Today's message is entitled, It Takes Courage to Live a Godly Life. It Takes Courage to Live a Godly Life. And we are seeing about a man named Asa, King Asa, and how God used him mightily to bring a, about a reformation and revival in the land of Judah. So if you will, turn with me in your copy of God's Holy Word to Second Chronicles, and today we'll be looking at chapter 15, Second Chronicles chapter 15, and we're going to read today together verses 1 through 9. And if you are physically able, I would ask if you would stand in honor and reverence of the reading of God's Word, and as a symbol of your readiness to receive it, into your life today. Second Chronicles 15, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded. And he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, and without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that, is, that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them, for great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word today. Receive it with faith and you may be seated. A uh, husband and wife were on vacation and a bad tooth came up while they were on vacation, and the couple went, found a local dentist there where they were vacationing and went into the dentist, and the wife said, uh, I want a tooth pulled, but let's listen, 
I, we don't have a lot of time, and so I don't want Novocaine. I just want you to, as quickly as possible, pull the tooth, and we're going to be on our way. And the dentist was quite impressed that uh, this lady would come in and want a tooth pulled with no Novocaine to numb the pain. And he said, certainly, you are a courageous woman. He said, which tooth is it? And she turned to her husband and said, show him your bad tooth, honey. <laughs> you know, it's always easier to tell someone else to have courage in their pain, isn't it? It is easier to do that. But as Azariah was speaking for the Lord, and this is the way that one of the ways that God spoke, as Hebrews chapter 1 and 1 tells us, that God spoke through His prophets. This was the word of the Lord coming from Azariah to Asa. And as the word of the Lord spoke to Asa that day through Azariah, this is God speaking to us today as well through His holy word. Amen. And... This God speaks to us about courage and to be strong in our faith and courageous in our life and in our faith. But this is not only the God that speaks to us about courage and being strong, but this is also the Word of the Lord that goes with us and that does strengthen us as we put our faith in Him, as we do trust Him, as we do obey Him, as we do live for Him. And he also uses mightily those who hear and obey his voice. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, remove the veil between you and us. And Lord, let us see clearly what you have purposed for all of us in this life. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. God, I'm not asking for you just to use me today, but for you to speak to these people. And Lord, for you to bring them to points of courage and strength to do what you have for each one individually to do in this life. And that it would be done for your glory, O Lord. And for the good of your church, but also for the good of the world as they see your people standing with faith and courage and strength. Visit us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning verses, as we see the Lord raise up Azariah, the son of Oded, and as he goes to Asa to speak, we see a warning in verse 2. As we read and read again, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now that's a hard term. That's a hard word. That's a hard verse. And I want to speak a word about the word forsake there and God. It's You never get all of your theology and doctrine from one verse, and it's dangerous to do that, but you take the whole Bible as a whole and put it together and begin to learn about God. So I don't believe this verse means that God stopped loving them. 
And my mind took me to the story, which I think is the perfect parable of, of not only God, but us as well in the prodigal son story that Jesus taught. And you remember the story, the younger son asked for his inheritance, and then he went away into a distant land, and he began to live in a terrible way, wasting all that the father had given him. And I think this is a picture of what it means here that God's saying, I love you and you're my children and I give to you a great inheritance. But if you choose to go into a distant land and waste all of your inheritance, I can't go with you. As it has been said in cliche style, God doesn't bless our mess. Amen? And I believe that's the story here of what's being said through Azariah as he speaks to Asa. Asa, you're the king. You've begun a mighty work. But I want to tell you, if, if you don't complete the work and if the people go back to worshiping idols and continue to worship pagan gods, gods that, that don't walk, gods that can't hear, gods that don't have eyes, gods that can't speak, God's made by the hands of man. If you go that route, God's not going to bless that. And He's not going to travel with you to that foreign land, so to speak, and using the parable of the prodigal son in context, He's not going to go with you. And He'll allow you to lose it all. It doesn't mean that He is not a God that loves His children, always ready, as the father in the prodigal son story was waiting for his son to return and with open arms and to forgive and to restore him as an heir to his fortune. I believe this is the picture that we see here. And also in Scripture, I, uh, the Lord took me to this week in John chapter 15 in verses 5 through 7. And Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. And so Jesus is saying, if you're not living in my presence, if you're not seeking me, if you're not serving me, you'll bear no fruit. He goes on to say, if anyone does not abide or stay in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So in the presence of God, in being connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, great fruit is produced, spiritual fruit is produced from our life in abundance. But when we are separated from the Lord in our faith, again, the Lord cannot bless or reward our bad behavior. After the warning, Azariah goes into a reminder in verses 3 through 6. And he said, he reminds Asa. It's like as he's saying, Asa, do you remember a long time ago in Israel was without the true God? And they were without teaching priest and without a law. And so they were not worshiping the Lord. They did not have someone speaking the oracles of God unto them. And he goes on to talk about the fruits of that devastating condition that they were in. 
But when in their distress they turned to the Lord the God and He sought them, and He was found by them, just like the prodigal son's father. When He returned home and came to His senses, God was there waiting. They turned to Him. But He goes on to describe the condition in those days when they were not worshiping God, when they were not regularly hearing the oracles of God spoken to them. He says, in those times there was no peace. There was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. You know, sometimes we need reminded of who we were before Christ. Amen? To be reminded of who we were when we were living as if there was no true God or not living in His presence, not seeking His glory and His goodness. We need to be reminded of these times when we were without God and His blessings or periods in our life where we too acted as the prodigal son and took our inheritance and said, I'm going to live for myself. Or even times when we were like the elder son standing outside the father's home with the father, come in and celebrate with us. Come in. But we were hard-hearted. We need to be reminded of what times were like during those periods of our life. No peace going out or coming in. Troubled. Wars in our minds, in our hearts, in our lands as well. But it also speaks to us in this way, and it reminds us that when God's people... Remember, Azariah is speaking to King Asa, the king of Judah, to God's people in God's holy land that He had given them. And when God's people do not follow God, it impacts their lives as well. And there is distance between them and the goodness of the Father. But not only does it impact our lives personally that we can become hard-hearted and cynical and mean and cold in our spiritual affection, but it also impacts the land around us. And you think about that. Not only can it, let's use the church as for instance, that not only can it impact individuals within the church, But when individuals are outside of the will of the Lord, even though they might be coming to church, they are hard-hearted and cynical and cold and mad and bitter or fearful, whatever it might be, it impacts the mood, if you will, the atmosphere of the whole congregation. Amen? But not only that, when God's people are not in the presence of the Lord, are not seeking God, are not following His will, not only does it impact us personally, not only does it impact those close to us, but it impacts the whole world around us. When God's people don't act like God's people, it impacts all of society. And this is what Azariah is speaking to Asa to remind him. We are called to be salt and light as Jesus Christ Himself taught in the Sermon on the Mount. 
Salt preserves. It flavors, yes, but the greatest use of it, especially in those times, was preservation. So the Christians preserve, if you will, flavor, yes, but preserve the world from turning totally evil. We are light, as Jesus Christ said. A city set on a hill, shining light in the dark world. And so when we are not being salt, and when we are not being light, then ungodliness rules and destroys lives. And we need to be reminded of that. As we grow lukewarm, we might not think it a big deal to grow lukewarm. We might not even realize we're lukewarm. Because we've gotten to a point in our spiritual life where we're just going through the motions. Doing a little bit, but not really all that God has purposed for us to do. Not only does that impact you, but it impacts the church. And ultimately it impacts a nation, and we're seeing that. And then it impacts a world. Because the church is not doing what it is designed to do. God's people. To strive for godliness, to be salt and light. And so Azaria gives Asa not only this warning that God's not going to bless ungodliness, and if you travel to worship with pagan gods, God's not going there with you. Don't expect His blessing. Don't expect His glory. Don't expect the the revelation of His beautiful presence if you're going to live for yourself. But also I want to warn you, Asa, and remind you of what it's been like in times past when God's people rejected the presence of the Lord. And then we see a challenge in verse 7. A beautiful challenge. But you, you, you're the king. You're the leader of the people. And I speak to you today. You, you are the church. You are the husbands. You are the mothers. You are the fathers. You are the grandparents. You are the Christians. But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Be strong in the Lord, he's saying here. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And this Hebrew wording actually says, encourage, don't let your hands be slack. Don't let your hands be weak and hang down. But keep them up. And keep laboring, and keep serving, and keep cleaning house, if you will, like Asa did in this land by removing the idols. And so this is the work of Alan Livinggood, not just to preach the gospel, but also to slowly continue to remove idols with courage and strength from the Lord in my life. Be strong in the Lord. Do not let your hands be slack. Keep to the work that God has purposed for you. And I would say that to all of us today. Keep to the work that God has purposed for your life today. Don't let your hands be slack. Don't be idle. Finish the job. Because there are many wonderful rewards. You know, when we think of courage, uh, we think of many things. But I want you to listen to this quote from Dr. Charles Swindoll 
I found. It said, courage is not limited to the battlefield or bravely catching a thief in your house. The real tests of courage are much deeper and much quieter. They are the inner tests. Like remaining faithful when no one's looking. Like enduring pain when the room is empty. Like standing alone when you're misunderstood. Not all of our acts of courage and strength are known on the nightly news, but they are nonetheless important and needed. Many times we are standing and rising and taking courage and not allowing our hands to be idle, even when no one's looking, even when we don't know what we're doing. I I just think off the cuff of, of the great reformer Martin Luther, He didn't know he was starting a reformation. He was just being true to what he was reading in God's Word. He didn't mean to start a reformation. He didn't even really plan to leave the the church at that time. They kicked him out. All because he was saying, I'm reading here in God's Word what is truth, and we're not being obedient to it. And God used his convictions to start a great reformation, and a great reformation that brought us the Word of God into our not only our hands, but into our hearts. He was just standing up for his convictions. As he said that day on trial, here I stand, I can do no more. The challenge was to be strong in the Lord, to not let your hands be slack. Don't allow them to be idle. We read in verse 8 then of what happened. As soon as Asa heard these words, It's one thing to hear, it's another thing to really hear. Amen? You can hear someone's words, but not hear what they're really saying to you. Asa heard the word of the Lord as given by the prophet, and he was obedient. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage. He did not let his hands become slack become idle. And it says, And he put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And not only that, not only did he continue in the work that we've already looked at in weeks past now in these sermons, not only did he continue in the work of removing the pagan gods from God's people and God's land, but he repaired the altar. Of God. He continued to show courage in removing idols from the land of God's people. And I want to tell you today, beloved, it takes courage to live a godly life. Because not only are you going against the wills of your flesh, but also that of the world, that of Satan. And it is a battle, and it takes courage to do the right thing. It takes courage to finish the work that God has given you to do. It takes strength from the Lord. You know, our lives, I know about my life, and my altar needs repaired quite frequently. Our altars need to be repaired quite frequently, and idols need to be removed from my life. 
Our lives, but also our lands, need cleaned and need renovated. The question is, will we be strong in the Lord and not allow our hands to hang down while there is work to do that God has for our lives? Work that He has clearly spoken to us about in His Word and through the Holy Spirit and even into your lives individually about what He wants you to do with your life. A wonderful story of courage and how it impacts the lives of others I ran across a few weeks ago. It's the story of what is called the Holy Forty. This happened in A.D. 320. The Persians were invading, weakening Rome, but there was even another danger that Rome faced as Rome was decaying, and that was the rise of Christianity even within Rome. And so a frightened emperor, as the Persians now are invading Rome, a frightened emperor decreed that his legions sacrifice to the pagan gods. And this was a famous legion of Rome called the Thundering Legion. And the emperor said, I want you all to sacrifice to the pagan gods of Rome. And so his orders were delivered to the Thundering Legion as they were on the front lines, as if you will, the stormtroopers called in to defend Rome. But when the orders were given for all to sacrifice to the pagan god, there were forty that said... They would not. Out of some 3,000 troops of that thundering legion of brave stormtroopers, if you will, 40 of them said, we will not sacrifice to a pagan god. The superiors responded, you alone. This was, this was the great glory of the army, this thundering legion. And he said, you alone of all. Caesar's troops defy him. Think of the disgrace that you bring upon your legion, the thundering legion. And they replied, to disgrace the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is more terrible still. Unfortunately, they were not respected for their convictions. Quite the opposite. The Holy Forty were dragged to flogging posts and beaten with whips. And when they didn't break... And recant, they were flayed with hooks. When they all still refused to deny Christ, their commanding general ordered them stripped naked and taken onto an ice-covered lake. And on a bitter cold winter's day in A.D. 320, they joyfully stripped off their clothes and they ran out on the ice. Then the commander of the legion ordered tubs of heated water placed on the banks of the lake to entice them to give up as they were freezing to death. But the freezing Christians prayed of that holy forty, Lord, there are forty of us engaged in this battle. Grant that forty may be crowned and not one will be missing from this sacred number. It seemed as if the forty would stay true, but eventually one broke. He ran back naked into the banks and he jumped in the warm bath, but the shock caused the body to go into death convulsions, and there were only 39. But then something happened. 
their courage and their bravery, their commitment to the name of Christ inspired another soldier there on the banks. And he stripped himself naked and ran out on the ice. And again, there were 40. The next morning, the general ordered that their frozen bodies be burned and the ashes scattered on a nearby river. His legionnaires were shocked. They found one still alive. He was burned alive with the rest of the dead bodies. The holy forty martyrs of Sabist tell an enduring story of the irresistible power of courage, do they not? A pagan legionnaire turning to Christ after one of those Christians came off the ice. Another one that was willing to be burned even though he was still alive with the 39 dead corpses beside him. Let me tell you what happened. Four years later, and you know this name, Constantine I executed the Caesar who had ordered those sacrifices. And he was sickened by pagan barbarity and impressed by the faith of martyrs like those at Sabeast. Constantine then, those of you who know some history, Constantine made Christianity the favored religion of Rome. That was a mighty, mighty thing. And you go back to the, to the early church in the book of Acts and how they were persecuted and all the martyrs, the Christian martyrs that died, and now the nation that once despised Christianity, Constantine, makes it the favored religion. Almost 3,000 legionnaires followed orders that winter day, but 40 did the right thing. 40 did not let their hands be idle. 40 drew strength from the Lord and took courage. Beloved, listen to me today. You and I are being tempted every day to cave in to pressure and to violate our conscience. Every day, the battle rages. But don't you dare. The 40 martyrs of Sabis teach us that one single act of bravery can even change the course of history. Now, our stories might not be that dramatic, and I just picture, as I read that story, I just picture it all in my head as if it was a movie. Ours might not be that dramatic. It might not be that well known. But again, that doesn't mean it is any less important and powerful. Of how your courage to stand upon your convictions, the strength you find in the Lord to finish the work that He has given you to do, will inspire and draw others into the glory of God. And do not forget the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, that when they see our good works as salt of the earth and the light of the world, others will see the glory of God. They will find Him. This work begins in our hearts. It spreads into our churches, into our families, in our homes, among our friends, even into our enemies, to a world in darkness. I want to ask you today, what do you need to be strong in today? Certainly, yes, your life of faith, but specifically, what does that mean for you? 
But you, but you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work will be rewarded. God's going to reward you. God's going to reward your courage. God's going to reward your obedience. And He will give you the strength to be strong even when others oppose you.